of the Church Bible, if you turn with me to page 853, 853, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, 853. We will be picking up our sermon series to John after, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. So today's just a standalone message, John 21, page 853. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of His disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. But just as the sun was rising… Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples could not recognize Him. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, you will find some. So they cast it, now they were not able to haul it in because of the sheer load of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work, and threw himself into the sea. Our disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they're not far from land, about 300 meters. And when they got there, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish. So Peter again went and hauled the net ashore, 153 fish. There were so many, and yet the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, and He gave it to them, and so were the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. And here's where I want to get at this morning. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I said to you when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you were wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. We'll pause there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to start that. It was a wee tradition somewhere here last week. I think it's a lovely thing after the Bible's read to give thanks to God for His word. I'm not turning you into Anglicans, don't worry, but this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Lord Jesus, I can do nothing up here without Your help. And I pray you would come now and that you would take the words that you have put in my heart. And any that are not helpful would fall to the wayside, but what comes from you would go forth 
that your spirit would be at work to glorify Jesus in the hearts of all who hear, that you would build us up in our faith, that you would encourage us and draw us deeper in love with the Savior. And for any who do not know you this morning, oh Lord Jesus, you're alive, you live, and you draw all men and women to yourself. So do your gracious work in the midst of this assembly today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. The old boy was 86 years of age. He had lived an exemplary life. He had followed around John, the apostle. And now at 86 years of life, he was confronted with a dilemma that would change everything. The Roman emperor had come into power, and he had demanded that everywhere, everyone would pledge allegiance to the emperor of Rome by saying that he was God. Talk about a big political ego. And this old boy at 86 years of age was a prime target for the emperor, for he was in charge of the church. He was probably one of the key figures of the day, and he was faced with a choice, worship the emperor or be loyal to Christ. Worship the emperor or be loyal to Christ. And as that dilemma was put to him, I wonder if he remembered the Scripture coming back to him, this Scripture that John had written inspired by the Holy Spirit of God about this incident in the beach when Jesus came to them. This beautiful story, this beautiful scene as Jesus comes one last time to His disciples in John's Gospel. As Jesus comes and imparts these words to Him. Let's look at the context of this chapter for a second just as we go into it. We know the disciples have encountered the risen Christ. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. He's been to the cross. He's done His work of atonement. He's died for our sins. He's bore the wrath of God. He's taken our penalty, and He's been raised to life evermore, showing that God approved of everything He did. Our Savior lives. And He had called His disciples, and I love how He called the disciples that first scene when they're hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews, for fear of persecution. And Jesus appears in their midst, and what does He say to them? Does he get on at them because they haven't done the task? Does he give them a right good, I was going to say a Scottish word there, but it's not very polite, so not. Does he give them a right good telling off? No, he says, peace be with you. I love that about Jesus, don't you? He constantly surprises us. And he gives them a mission. He says, disciples, I want you to go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the gospel all throughout the known world, which is quite amazing, isn't it? And you, brothers and sisters, are sitting here today because the apostles obeyed that call. So he leaves them. He disappears off. And what do the apostles? He tells them, right, go ahead of me. Go on ahead of me to Galilee. So they go to Galilee, and they get to Galilee. And, and what do they do? Well, Peter opens his mouth and says, guys, I've got a brilliant idea. Shall we have a prayer meeting? No. Shall we pause and seek the Holy Spirit? No, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. What do the our disciples do? Do they say, no, Peter, you can't do that? They say, no, we're coming with you. Now, lest we're too hard on the disciples, we fall into familiar habits, don't we? We fall back in the familiar. We all do it, don't we? You can say, yes, it's okay. We all fall back. And so they go fishing, and they go out onto the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and they fish all night, and they manage the miraculous feat of not catching any fish in a sea that's full of fish, which is pretty amazing. And then as day breaks, and I love John's gospel. Have you ever read a really, really good book that you've loved? And then when you read it the second time, you pick up more things as you read it through the second time. Has that, has that occurred to anyone? It's a really good book, and you see 
John, when under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he writes his gospel, a child could read it and understand it. But the more you live in this book, the more you go through it, you see these things. And one of the things John loves to do is the play of darkness and light. And I love the fact is all night in the darkness, the disciples have caught nothing. And then as day breaks, as the sun is rising, who is standing in the rising sun but the risen sun himself? Isn't that a beautiful scene? That Jesus heralds in this new day, this new opportunity, this new hope. Morning by morning, your mercies are ever new. If you come here this morning weary and tired and fed up, He's here in the newness of His mercies for you. He is here. Great is thy faithfulness. Weeping may tarry for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. As the risen sun stands with the rising sun behind His back, that's why the disciples don't recognize Him. And He calls out to them, some of your translations, the ESV says children. It's not quite that. It's more like lads. No, if you're calling someone, say lads. Lads, do you have any fish? Now, the disciples answer very politely. If I was fishing all night and caught nothing, I think no was the least I would say. And he calls out to them, cast your net to the right side of the boat, you will find some. Now, Bible students, straight away, this, this image should be bringing something up in your mind. They cast the, net over to the, ooh, cast the net over to the right side of the boat, and they haul in this massive load of fish. It's a miracle. Jesus has provided the fish for them, 153 of them to be exact. And as they haul it in, what comes back to your mind? If you think back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, when Jesus first calls the apostles, what was the scene? They were out fishing all night, they caught nothing, and He tells them to throw their net over, and He hauls in this massive net. And what does He say to them? You've been catching fish, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men. And straight away here, Jesus is echoing in their heads. He's recalling them and recommitting them. Remember what I called you to do, fellas, or lads, or children. Remember what I called you to do, to be fishers of men. And as this net's hauled in, I love Peter's response here. Peter is brilliant. I would, I would love a church full of Peters. And I say that wisely. But Peter's great, isn't he? He genuinely loved Jesus, but he just went about it the wrong way at times, didn't he? But here, Peter, I love this scene. Peter is stripped for the work, so what does he do? He puts on his coat and jumps into the water. I mean, how many of you go swimming with your coat on? The reason he did it is because he was showing respect to Jesus. He wasn't going to appear before his Lord undressed. So even in his zeal and his excitement, he plunges into the water. He goes before Jesus here. And I love this. This is just context, but I love this scene. The disciples are tired. They're cold. They're hungry. They've been out fishing all night the risen King of glory, the sovereign of the universe, the potentate of time, the Alpha and the Omega, the bright morning star has made them breakfast. Jesus is amazing, isn't he? A big Ulster fry-up, wouldn't that have been great? Do you know what an Ulster fry-up is? It's a Northern Ireland tradition. You've got bacon. I'm making myself hungry thinking about it. I just had a slice of toast this morning. Bacon, potato bread, oh, anyway, sorry. It's more likely to be a fish supper here. And he makes the breakfast. Now, friend, this morning, just as a side note, don't despise the day of small things. Every one of us wants to have a massive record of service for Jesus, don't we? We want to serve him to the best we can. But, friend, if all you could do at the minute is make a cup of tea for somebody and bless them in Jesus' name, don't despise that. He does it. 
Serve him where you can and serve him to the best of your ability, but don't despise the day of small things. Jesus is the one who made the disciples breakfast. Anyway, after they have their fish supper, Jesus has some unfinished business. Peter was marked out as one of the leaders of the apostolic band. He was somebody who Jesus brought up to the side of the mountain for the transfiguration. He'd saw the glory of Christ burst forth. He was with Jesus in Gethsemane, even though he had fallen asleep. And Peter was the one, as we all know, who when he was challenged by the wee servant girl at the fire, isn't that interesting too that there's a charcoal fire there? I wonder as Peter's standing there smelling the fish and chips as the charcoal fire hits him too, that memories start bubbling back to the surface of that night. That night when he was asked three times, you're with Jesus. No, no, I don't know him. No, you, you, you've got the accent. You're, you're definitely with Jesus. No, no, he's nothing to do with me. No, you're really, you, you, you sound funny. You must be from Galilee. With oaths and curses, he denied him. And what about the pathos of that scene as Peter denies him and him and Jesus make eye contact? Peter weeps bitterly as the cock crows three times. Peter messed up. Peter messed up. So Jesus needs to deal with this. And so he pulls him aside. And he asks him to deal with this unfinished business. John 21, in many ways, is the gathering up of loose ends that have been put out throughout John. But this is the biggest bit of unfinished business here. Peter has a task to do for the Lord. He has a mission to fulfill for the next, we reckon, 36 years of his life. And Jesus needs to get him in the right place and get his heart sorted. And so he pulls him aside and he says, Simon, son of John. Notice how he's going back to Peter's old name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are these? We reckon the disciples, we reckon the fishing boats, his hand sweeps across. Do you love me more than mother and father? Do you love me more than brother and sister? Do you love me more than these? And we know that from the Gospels, Jesus does claim that love. A love that is all-encompassing, uncompromising, and unbrokering but a love which is instilled in us because He loved us first and gave His all for us, because we were made to love and know Him. And when we love and know Him as we should, all other relationships do fall into place. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He asked him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Now, in some ways, this question shouldn't surprise us, should it? But think of the scene. Here is Jesus, who, as I said, has just come back, raised from the dead. He's come down from heaven where he had the worship of angels and archangels and millions upon millions crying out, holy, holy is the Lord. He enjoyed fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And here he comes down to a beach in Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. It's not like Ireland, but it's beautiful. And he comes down and he stands on the side of the sea and he looks at this fisherman who is wet, who probably stank, who had betrayed him, and he looks him right in the eyes, and eyes that Peter can't escape from, and he says to him, do you love me? It almost sounds like a Hollywood movie, doesn't it? You kind of expect, what do you call her? What's that movie, Gone with the Wind? What was she called? Scar, you expect her to sweep it in a minute, don't you? And then that famous line, anyway, that's, it's a strange question, do you love me? Or is it? If you think of the Scripture, the whole flow of Scripture, 
In the beginning was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who existed in bonds of love and power and unity, and out of the overflow of their delight, they made creation, which is a big difference, actually, from the Islamic story. In Islam, Allah makes us because He needs us. God, the Father, makes us because He rejoices to know us and wants us to rejoice in that love. Even that foundation is fundamentally different. And Adam and Eve were made in the Garden of Eden to what? To look after the garden, yes, but to fellowship with God, to worship and adore God, to walk with Him. You and I were made to know and love God. There's an echo in our hearts that we cannot satisfy with anything apart from God. Look at the world around us. Look at the people who walk past our church who are seeking for something, who try all sorts of things that get them to all sorts of bother, and yet there's no peace. God put eternity in the hearts of man because we were made for Him, and He made us for fellowship to know and delight in Him. We sinned, we rebelled, we turned our back, we broke that fellowship, yet God pursued us. And then when Moses comes along and the people of Israel are rescued from slavery of that powerful act of Passover and through the Red Sea, they get the law at Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments, but what's in the middle of that? Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor. Love was at the heart of that relationship. And you start going into the Psalter, into the Psalms, and you read some of the Psalms, like David cries out, I love the Lord, for He has heard my answer to prayer. Psalm 23, I mean, Psalm tw- how could you write Psalm 23 if you were cold and dispassionate? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It doesn't sound right, does it? It flows out of a loving relationship. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. His goodness restores my soul. And even I walk through the deepest and darkest valley, the valley of death, or the valley of deepest darkness, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. The prophets, I desire mercy instead of sacrifice. The word there for mercy means hesed, steadfast love. And when Jesus himself came and taught and preached around the whole area, what did he say? The greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor likewise. So is it a surprising question that Jesus asked Peter this? Personally, intimately, and straight to the heart, do you love me? The answer is no. It's not surprising. And Jesus does this for many reasons. One, because this is at the heart of the Christian faith. Now, get me right with this, because I know somebody out there say, well, Daniel, what about faith? Absolutely. Faith is trust in God's promises as He holds out the offer of salvation to us. Whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is how it starts, and that is how it continues, by faith. I've read this morning, you can know that Savior by trusting in the promises He gives you. Yes and amen. If you want salvation... If you want that ache in your heart filled with something rich and deep and true and with God Himself, then believe in His only Son, you will be saved. Let us never forget that. Works by faith. Galatians 5, verse 6, For Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision, circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith working through love. How many of you have been to Scotland? Oh, good. 
There's hope for you yet then. How many of you have been to Ireland? Oh, even better not. In Scotland, have you ever been to Scotland? The bridge I've crossed, I think, Mal and I were trying to figure out how many times we've crossed this bridge. It must be in the thousands. But the fourth row bridge. Anyone know the fourth row bridge of the new Queen's Ferry crossing? How do you build a bridge like that? You've got land here, you've got land there, there's a big pile of water with winds and nothing in between. How'd you start that? Not easy, is it? What they did way back in the older days, the Victorians, maybe not with the fourth words, but with a bridge like that, they would fire a harpoon across the chasm. So this wire would be fired across and it would be the start of the bridge, this tensile wire, two sides were connected, then the bridge was built around that. Faith is the wire that connects us to God through the cross through the Holy Spirit, through the new birth. It is the tensile that links that chasm of division that we caused. And then as that relationship is built, faith working through love, the bridge is built around it. Because you can't love somebody if you don't trust them, can you? So Jesus looks at Peter and he asks this question, do you love me? Why does he ask him this question? One, it's the heart of the Christian faith. Love for Jesus is key to it all. 1 John chapter 4 later on is a beautiful chapter. When you go home today, forget Coronation Street, forget EastEnders, it's a pile of nonsense. Go and read 1 John chapter 4. And notice how John builds this relationship. Love to God, if you love God but hate your brother and sister, the love of God isn't in you. Love of God comes first, but then that love is in you. It flows out to others. Love for Jesus and love to others. In my whatever years of ministry now, I've come to one conclusion. People are difficult. You can all say amen to that. People are difficult, aren't they? What about it? You're riding high in May. They shoot you down. If you go to them, they're complaining about something. Then when you give them their complaints, they've changed their mind and they wanted that yesterday. Uh, People are difficult. What keeps you going? What keeps you going? If you love Christ and His love is flowing through you to others, that's what keeps you going. I don't know if I shared this story before here. I'm getting old and a bit daughtry, so forgive me if I have, but I've seen this illustrated in the Cory Tebboom. How many of you heard of Cory Tebboom? Cory Tebboom, if you don't know of her, was in the concentration camps, and her sister was killed in one of the camps. And Corey Tebbe, many years later, was preaching at a mission in America, and she was preaching on forgiveness. And as she preached on forgiveness, halfway through the service, somebody arrived late and came in the doors and walked over to the side. And she had an uneasy feeling about this person, but she couldn't put her finger on it. So she continued preaching on forgiveness, and after the service was over, she went down to the front to take questions, and people came to her. And this figure, whom she'd been uneasy about, came down towards her. As the figure approached her, she recognized the figure. It was the commandant of the camp where her sister had died. She'd be preaching in forgiveness. This guy went up to her. He said, Fraulein, you may not recognize me, but I have become a Christian. I have repented of my sins. I, I live in daily torment of what happened, but the Lord's peace has come to me, and I am asking you this morning for your forgiveness. Talk about the rubber hitting the road. And Corey Tebbe in that moment tried to put her arm out because she just, I mean, this is the danger of preaching. You have to practice what you preach. She put her arm out, but it wouldn't move from her side. The memories came back. The pain came back, understandably. She struggled in that moment. She said, Lord, help me to do this. Nothing. Lord, I'm struggling here. Help me to do this. And then she prayed, Lord, help me to love him like you love him. And that moment, she says, the Holy Spirit came on her and helped her to shake that man's hand. 
That was the power of God to help her to love. Jesus knows that we will find each other difficult. Don't you love it in Galatians where Paul says, bear with one another? Bear with one another in love, the love of God. We need to love Him, and His love needs to flow through us to help us love each other. How shall the world know we are His disciples? Through the proclamation of the gospel and by the love we have for one another. We need His love in us to love Him, to love each other, and to love a broken and hurting world around us. I love reading missionary stories. I, love, I had the privilege with Helen Rosevere. Many even know Helen Rosevere and our missionary, a powerful lady. When she was out in the mission field, she was preaching the gospel. Somebody broke into her camp and took advantage of her. And she forgave them. And she continued there to preach the gospel. Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot got out after her husband had been killed by cannibals, and she went and proclaimed the gospel to them. What keeps people like that going? It's not a stiff upper lip. It's not grim determination. It's not resolve. It is love for Christ, a passionate, a blazing love for Him that comes from Him. One of my heroes is Thomas Chalmers. Anyone heard of Thomas Chalmers? Ah, Barnabas, good man. Ah, Nick, excellent. Anyone else? Oh, dear. Thomas Chalmers was a preacher in Scotland. He was born in the town I used to serve at Amstruther. And he was the founder, one of the founders of the Free Church of Scotland. And Chalmers preached a famous sermon. Now, it was a Victorian sermon, so the title wasn't exactly catchy. It was called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. That'll get you out of bed in the morning, won't it? The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He was preaching on the love of Christ. And what he meant was this, and let me try and distill Chalmers down. Have you ever had to clean out a glass jar that's got bits of marmalade or jam in it? Anyone ever had to do that? Yeah. Do you scrape it out with a spoon? Doesn't really clean it, does it? Bear with me on this one. Don't worry, I'm not going mad. Scrape it out with a spoon. Doesn't work. What's the best way to get the stuff out of the jar? Pour water in. And as the water pours in, it dislodges the stuff, and eventually it all bubbles out, and that's clear and full. So you don't use your finger. That's unhygienic. It, as the water pours in, it bubbles out, and it flows out. And the jar's clean. The expulsive power of a new affection. How do you keep the love of the world out of your heart? By the power of a greater affection of love to Jesus. How do you keep hatred and bitterness out of your heart, which are so powerful, so toxic, by pouring in the love of Christ? How do you keep going through temptation, through hardship, through despair, through perplexity, pouring the love of Christ that drives all else out? And Jesus, lest you think I'm getting really soppy when I'm describing this, Jesus says this to Peter because Peter was going to die for him. I mean, guys who are going out onto the mission field, you'll have your mission commands and stuff, but imagine you get this from Jesus. Guys, you're going to the mission field for 30 years, and at the end of 36 years, you're going to get killed. It's a hard message, isn't it? And yet Peter lived for 36 years with this knowledge over his head. Jesus knew the only thing that would keep him going was love to him. And we see this concern carried on through the rest of the New Testament. Ephesians 2, verse 1-7, the church at Ephesus. This great church, this church that was doing so many things, Jesus looks at it and says, guys, you're doing great, but you've forgotten one thing. You've forgotten the love you had at first. Repent, therefore, and come back. Matthew tells us, too, that the signs of the times, Matthew 24, verse 12, many people get excited about the signs of the times, but there's one sign that gets constantly overlooked, the love of many 
will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. When I meet a Christian who is hard and harsh, I know that the love of Christ has grown cold in their life. When I meet a Christian who is weary and tired and cynical, I know the love of Christ has grown cold in their life. The King James actually translates it best. The King James says, the love of many will wax cold. I love candles. I'm easily amused. What I love doing with candles is playing with them. See, when the wax comes up, you can create wee rivers and the candle overflows. And Is this just me? I get really excited about this. Sorry, guys. And the candle wax goes everywhere. It's great fun. You can build wee lakes and you can build... No, okay. I used to do this in a restaurant when I took my out and dates. And she... <laughs> Bless her. But when a candle wax pours out, it's hot, it's clear, but as it hits the air, it grows cold, it grows hard, it grows firm, doesn't it? Fred, are you here this morning and your love is wax cold? If Jesus turned up at LBC this morning and looked you in the eye and said to you, do you love me? What would you say to him? What would you say to him? Because that's the key of the Christian faith. He has saved you and redeemed you by His precious blood. He is keeping you by the power of His Holy Spirit. He loves you with an indestructible love, a love that will never let you go. A love so amazing and so divine that it pours over His daily, constantly. Regardless of how we're feeling or where we're at, when God saves and redeems us, He keeps us. He loves you this morning. But He wants you to love Him back. He wants this church to be marked by love for Him. If Jesus is at the heart of this fellowship, and we love Him, and we love each other as we're called to do, we love those who come in, and we love visitors, and then our love breaks out onto the area, then we will be a bright and shining witness for Him. And we will keep going, because Lincoln needs reached for the glory of God. We are called to be fishers of men and women. We are called to go out and take the gospel up steep hill, which will help me to lose some weight. And as we go up steep hill and we see the folk who are injecting themselves with heroin, talk about the expulsive power of a new affection. When Christ gets to hold them, sometimes there's transformation that happens immediately, sometimes there's a long process, but when the love of Christ gets into the heart, it changes the heart, doesn't it? The lady who was in her step, she needs the love of Christ. And where else are folk going to hear this? Where else are folk going to know about this unless the church does it? That's why Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? LBC this morning, do we love him? Answer now in your own hearts as we pray. But know that if you answer that saying, Lord, actually, no, I don't love you as I should, he will be tender with you. And he will increase your love. We're about to sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Ask him to pour more love into your heart. If you do love him, pray for grace to love him more. You can't love Jesus enough. You really can't. I love that line. In fact, it was the queen. I don't know if I think I have shared it. The late queen, she was talking to her chaplain once. And her chaplain, she said to the chaplain, you know, I wish the Lord would return in my lifetime. And he says, why? Why do you ask that, your majesty? She said, I would so dearly love to lay my crown at his feet and be lost in wonder, love, and praise. It's amazing, isn't it? Love him more. And I preach this, please, this morning, I preach this with you. For I don't love him nearly as much as I should. J.C. Ryle, do we love Christ? That is the great question. Without this, there is no vitality about our Christianity. There is no life where there is no love.
Let us come back to Him in heart and soul this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, in moments like these, I'm tempted to ask you to forgive the foolishness of preaching. How on earth can I, or any of us, adequately touch in this theme that is so deep, the love of Christ Jesus our Lord? We have sung about it. We have heard about it through your word that you are the mighty and majestic King. There is none like you. We have a desire to see Jesus lifted high, a banner across Lincoln and Lincolnshire and England and the British Isles and beyond. And yet we know too that there are still moments when we sit down before you in prayer, in praise and adoration, when you look at us and we let you speak to us. We're so busy sometimes, Lord, we try and drown you out. But you ask each one of us, do you love me? And I think we could all say, yes, Lord, we do love you, but we want to love you more. We thank you for your cross. We love you because you first loved us. We see the cross where you died for us. We see the empty tomb where you rose alive forevermore. We know the Holy Spirit's at work applying these truths to our heart. We would pray this morning in LBC that you would light a flame of love to the Savior at each of us that would fan out from this place and bring a transformation to these nations. We need your powerful love and gospel to go forth. The need and the fields around us are white on the harvest, so Lord, help us to love you more. And if there's any here this morning who do not know you, Lord, I pray whatever came out of this, they would meet with you, the risen Christ, that you would fill their hearts with the power of your loving affection. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.